Hello, and welcome to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast. My name is John David Arianson, and I'm your host. I'm what you would call a practicing professor. I have years of experience consulting in the analytics industry, and I have years of experience teaching analytics in the classroom at Greensboro College. This podcast is an ecosystem that I developed for my students so that they could get world-class career advice from leading analytics experts. To date, my students have got to ask questions directly to analysts and data scientists from Amazon, Apple, and Google. They've even got to talk directly to CEOs, CMOs, and presidents of companies who have been former clients of mine to get insights on how senior managers use data to drive their business decisions. If you're interested in becoming one of my students, check the links in the description down below. I'm currently offering two programs. One is a one-month career services program, and the other is an analytics apprenticeship program associated with Greensboro College. In both of those programs, we take a three-tiered hybrid approach. So you'll have access to pre-recorded asynchronous lectures, live group lectures in a cohort setting, and one-on-one coaching with experts in the analytics space. On average, our students are gaining about a $16,000 pay increase going through the program. On the high end, we've actually helped someone achieve a $54,000 pay increase. This means that on average, our students are recouping their investment between one to two months of landing their job. So if you're ready to take your career to the next level, click the links in the description and apply for our program. I would love to get to work with you. With all that being said, I hope you enjoy this podcast episode. Hello and welcome to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast. In this podcast, we talk to experts in and around the analytics industry. One week, we may talk to a data scientist from a FANG tech company. Then the next week, we may talk to a data engineer or business analyst, or even I may pull one of my consulting clients so you get to hear from an executive on how they use data to drive business decisions day in and day out. My name is John David Arianson, and I'm the founder of Silvertone Analytics, which is a boutique consulting agency that focuses on analytics for medium to small size businesses. I'm also a professor at Greensboro College, where I teach analytics. Most recently, I have founded the Greensboro College Analytics Apprenticeship Program, which melds these two job functions together. This is your opportunity to work directly with me and one of my clients. The Greensboro College Analytics Apprenticeship Program is a three-month program. In the first month, you're going to be completing the Analytics Foundation Certification backed by Greensboro College. Then in month two, you're going to be taking that knowledge base that you developed in month one and applying it out in the field where you're going to be working with one of my client's executive teams where you're going to be solving a business problem using data and analytics tools. Then in the third month, we're going to bring it all together with a full month of career services. Now, this is going to be quite a bit different than the typical career services at a university or a college. Here, I'm going to help you build a professional brand around where you are as an analyst. So in the first month, you have worked with a ton of different data sets. We're going to take the data sets that really resonate with you to help you hone in on your ideal entry-level job. We're going to build a Tableau public portfolio around that area of expertise. We're going to razor focus your resume and LinkedIn. And I'm also going to coach you on how to talk about yourself in an interview setting. So if you're ready to break into the analytics space, 
head over to learn.silvertonianalytics/apprenticeship and there you can learn more about the program and if you're interested you can apply. With all that being said, let's start the podcast episode. Welcome to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast. Our goal here is to help you land your next career opportunity. We do this by discussing the analytics industry at large, how to build analytics skills, how to connect with others within this industry, and also how to build a personal brand. We specifically focus on how you can develop an analytics portfolio. If you're getting a lot of value out of the podcast, the best thing that you can do to give back to us is leave a like, a comment in the comment section down below, or even share this on social media. Also, don't forget to subscribe and ring the bell if you want notifications. Every once in a while, we'll post the odd Tuesday or Thursday video. And if you've rung the bell, you're not going to miss a single video from us. Two more things. We've also launched an official Discord server. So this is going to facilitate our community and our conversations. So check the link in the description down below. And we've also launched the Silvertone Analytics Learning Academy. Here you can get step-by-step instructions on how to build your analytics skills and also build your portfolio. All right, so now I've got a personal challenge for you. Leave a like on this video, and if we get five videos in a row that have over 100 likes, then we're going to do a special bonus Q&A video where I'm going to answer your questions directly. With all that being said, let's jump into the podcast episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. So this is a first. This is the first time we've ever had a true artist, an hey. artist of data science. <laughs> so, Hapreet, so I'll let you introduce yourself. So what's been going on in your world? First of all, man, that music you got had me vibing, man. There's some, some good music <laughs> going on. Uh, it's been going on in my world, man. A lot of stuff, dude. Uh, I mean, where do I even start, right? Where do I start? So, uh professionally i'm a data scientist lead data scientist at price industries that's kind of my my full-time gig there uh, but on the side man there's always something going on on the side for me um you know data science dream job is one of them that's the probably the, the, the biggest thing then there's also the podcast as well as well as just various engagements with with the community right got the the uh, award show coming up in a few days here for uh kate strashney and i the data community content creators award um yeah man i mean that, that's pr- that's pretty much it. I mean, there's a lot there's a lot that goes on uh, with that, as you could tell from my uh, my <laughs> weekly, weekly to do list. It's uh, quite packed. But wow, that's huge. Yeah. yeah no well, way. okay. So let's let's root down on specifically the the topic of today, which is how to land your dream data job. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wanted to just talk abstractly about what does that even mean, other than the fact that it's something good to go on the thumbnail yeah. <laughs> and get people to click on the video. Yeah. What does that mean? Because that's a topic that you suggested that we actually delve into. Yeah, definitely, man. Well, I think it, it comes down to this, dude. Like, you know, we have a finite amount of time on this planet, right? Mm-hmm. And if you have to work, why not work at a job that you love doing that you're excited to wake up for and go to every every day right Mm -hmm. Um, like you you are in charge of what you do with your time so do it in you know in something you want to do so to me that's kind of what it means to have a dream job it's like 
this is this is actually how I want to be spending my time eight hours a day. Um, I think the steps, man, to to get to that. I mean, about twelve steps. I would say the twelve steps to get to clean job. <laughs> I mean, at, at a high level, you know, there, there's first you got to define success for yourself. How do you what you know? And we could d- d- dig deeper into these uh, as we progress, but you got to be able to define success for yourself. You got to have the right mindset. You got to have the technical skills, baseline level of technical skills. You got to build a portfolio. You've got to craft your story. Make sure your resume, LinkedIn, GitHub, make sure all of that is tight. You got to make sure you know how to get interviews. You got to make sure you know how to pass HR phone screens. You got to crush the technical screens. You got to do the take-home assignments, coding challenges. You got to make sure you stand out in the in-person interviews. And then you got to negotiate, man. You got to you got to make sure you're getting, uh, you're not leaving money on the table. Okay. So have you heard of this book called The E-Myth Revisited? I've never heard of that, no. Okay, so I'm reading it, and it's, I mean, it's really geared towards entrepreneurs, but it breaks down running a business into three different roles. So you have the entrepreneur who is kind of the visionary. Then you have the technician who does the the actual work and is kind of the specialist. And then you have um, managers. So I think that kind of the subtext that I wanted to talk about is that I think a lot of people want to be technicians, and the, but they also want to move up in their organization. And it's kind of, this kind of works into the principle, uh, what is it, the Peters principle, where you get promoted to your level of um, incompetence. Yeah. Right. Um, so do you have any thoughts on like how, how you can think through where you belong within an organizational structure? So I know this is like a really complex, and, and I'm pulling this question out of thin air. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in, in essence, like it's like that when you think about from an entrepreneurial standpoint, right? That the ideal combination is you got a builder, you have a seller, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the builder is the one that's got the technical skills that can execute on it, you know, producer, performer type of thing. Um, so identify which one it is that that you enjoy doing, right? And I think that there's a, I mean, I don't know if I'm answering your question. Let me know if I'm way off track at any point, but um, I noticed that this this is big in in, in tech organizations that they'll have two kind of parallel career paths, right? And one career path is for that technician who just loves to do the technical work, doesn't necessarily need or want to manage people because, you know, just because you're great at tech stuff does not necessarily mean you'll make a great manager of people. And, you know, they can they can level up to a principal role or maybe, you know, distinguished engineer type of role, which is essentially like the VP level but they're just technical stuff and they're not really in charge of, of managing people or, you know, doing that, that type of selling work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a parallel path where you're, you're leveling up, but then you're, you're more and more in charge of managing people, managing strategy and, and things like that. So um, I, I've seen that more in like tech type of companies, not necessarily in, you know, let's say manufacturing organizations or more uh, legacy organizations. I don't know what else to call them. Um, but that kind of answering your question. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, well, something that I'm seeing over and over and over again is that there's this overemphasis on hard skills and I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm having an existential crisis here. Maybe I'm, I'm thinking about it all wrong. Maybe it's that people who are very kind of curious about things and technology and like building Maybe those are the people who are drawn to getting an analytics job. And maybe I'm, I'm, cause I have an MBA with concentration analytics. So I'm like 
analytics light. I'm more people heavy and understand like organizational structures and how to make money. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering like if I, I just worry that I'm, I'm, I'm going to be turning off a large portion of the audience who are like, you just don't understand. <laughs> no, dude, th- these are not mutually exclusive events or mutually exclusive interests, right? People okay. can have both of these, I think. Um, and I mean, speaking of existential crises, man, I, I haven't. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't think they're mutually exclusive, right? Like, like, you know, okay. if, if you want to be completely focused on just the tech stuff, great. Focus on that stuff. Um, if you don't want to, you know, play the, the the management game, that's all good, man. Um, but you can also have a technically competent manager who understands like the nitty gritty, and knows how, if they need to get down in the weeds and do shit, they'll get it done. Right. Interesting. Okay. Well, I kind of wanted to start there of like the the higher, like the the five thousand foot view of what is what does it even mean to get an analytics job or have an analytics career. So you can go down multiple paths. Right. Um, so we've actually had a viewer submit a question here. Um, can we talk about how to get an entry level analytics job? Yes, apply for them. <laughs> <laughs> there, well, I think that wraps up the episode. Guys. Yeah, that's that's the guys back here, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like apply for them, obviously, right? Uh, that's how you get any job is you got to apply for them. Um, I mean, if you want to detail into that question, we can definitely do that. But obviously, in, you know, entry level analytics job, right, you need to have some baseline level of technical skills and realize that all of your competition is going to have the same baseline level of skills, right? It's not like my cousin, you know, Girthi, who studied biology, uh, is going for the same type of job as I am as a analytics professional, right? So realize that your competition is going to have the same baseline level of skills as you are, right? So if we remove that from the equation, right, if we remove the technical skill from the equation, then what is left? What is left is your ability to execute, your ability to learn quickly, your ability to communicate, your ability not only to communicate, but communicate kind of abstract concepts, difficult ideas in a way that when somebody hears you explain it, they feel smart, right? Like mm. your goal is like, okay, I'm going to explain this person how this thing works. And my goal is by the end of this, I don't want them to think, oh my God, Harpreet is so smart. I want them to think, oh shit, I'm so smart that I understood what he was saying. Right. right. And that, I mean, if you got like more depth, whoever asked that question, we can get into it, but uh, I mean, you just got to apply for the analytics jobs, right? Obviously have your resume in shape. Like the, this is the basics of, of, of that. Um, we can dig, dig deeper if we get more, clarified questions for well, sure okay so i was i hopped on and i totally got the timing i feel like an idiot i got the timing wrong of your office hours and i showed up an hour late <laughs> oh it's all good man yeah, but i but um what what really struck me about the people who were asking questions was that there's this one guy who seemed like probably a straight a student he had all this nervous energy and was like well i learned okay. this i did this i did this i did this i think it's a real um kind of a head trip of what, what, let me reinterpret what you, what you said in my own words. So getting an entry level analytics job is not about analytic skills. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would say it's, it's, it's not about that. That seems to be the core misconception Yeah, that like, Oh, I need, and it actually kind of gets to this. So this question that someone else sent it is what's wrong with job adverts, even entry level jobs require three to five years of experience. How should you get these roles? Okay. But it doesn't say three to five years of work experience at a company doing X, Y, Z, three to five years of experience. You can accumulate by doing stuff on your own, 
right? Mm-hmm. And and also that's that number is inflated. Really, they want one to two years of experience, but they're saying three to five to keep people like you from applying, so they don't have to go through a million different resumes to find the right candidate. Right? It's just weeding you out, right? So yeah, I mean that that's kind of what's going on, right? I mean, and <laughs> like honestly, right? Like I'm like I I've written job postings and I'll inflate just a little bit. Because I want to turn off some people from applying because I don't want to have to go through 156 different resumes, right? Right. Um, and then people who do apply, even though they don't quite meet the criteria, then I'm like, oh, this guy's bold. All right, let's 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 talk to you a little bit. Let's see what's going on. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean three to five years of work experience at a company. Do projects, but don't do weak projects, sloppy code, sloppy dashboard, and be like, I've done the projects. No, man, make sure your project is professional act as if you were in a job and do the project as a professional would do the project. And if you don't know how a professional would do a project, then you're probably not looking hard enough on GitHub or Tableau public or so on and so forth. Whatever website, Kaggle is not real world. Um, so I'll, I'll pause there. I'll, pause. I'll start <laughs> ranting, man. I'll start ranting. No, no, rant away. I think that that's what's what people are here for. Yeah. Uh, because I, th- I think that we're echoing, like uh, there's this frustration of, um, getting getting into the space and i got to see it so we coached molly welsh who is, is a longtime friend of mine um she was unhappy in her job we helped her pivot into an entry-level data science role so her going from the space that she was in when she was in an environmental space into an entry-level data science job equated to a, a roughly a 40 percent increase in salary going from like one job just to starting out in this this new space but a lot of it is just imposter syndrome of like yeah I, I think that what I'm getting from you is that you're frustrated that people are not applying. Like, yeah, yeah. it's like, it's, a, it's like you're jumping into a cold pool and what you're doing is you're figuring out, okay, if I jump in right here, this is going to be the optimal point to get in the pool. But it's like, it, it, you just have to jump in and you fixating on all the details of like, Oh, well maybe I should put in my pinky toe first yeah, and then this toe. And then it's like, just go out and do it. And I don't know, maybe it's just, the fear of rejection, the misinformation, the, the just information overload. What do you think is going on there? We're going to take a quick pause from the episode so that I can give you some more information about our career services program. Over the last four years, I have developed a very effective approach to teaching the foundations of analytics. And I've taken that same curriculum from my case studies and business analytics class at Greensboro College and turned it into a career services program. So if you've ever thought to yourself as you're listening to this podcast, man, John David students are really lucky. You can have a very similar experience to them. Just check the link in the description down below. My career services program offers you an analytics foundations curriculum. So this will shore up any gaps in knowledge that you might have in landing either a promotion or maybe even your very first analytics job. And then you get to work one-on-one with me to help build your personal brand. So we will look at your resume and also help you develop a customized portfolio. All right, let's get back to the episode. A little bit of everything for sure, right? I will say for a fact, man, like, like, I mean, I'll apply for jobs, which I'm highly unqualified for, right? And I can say precisely zero of those times where I have applied for a job, a CEO, chief data scientist, roles that I'm not qualified for, not once has a hand emerged 
from my computer screen and slapped me for a <laughs> right? Because um, it's not up to me to disqualify myself, right? It is not my responsibility for me to go and look at a job description and say, I am not qualified for this role. I'll apply anyways, right? I mean, I'll let the person on the other end do the work and, and filter me out if they need to, right? Because that's not my job. My job is to apply for the jobs and try to get the interview, right? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, look, if if you apply for a role, let's say you are a fresher, let's use the uh, the colloquial language of, of, of the audience here. Let's say you're a fresher and you see a job with two to three years of experience wanted, right? Like, if you didn't apply for that job, right, what would happen? You wouldn't get called back, right? But if you apply for that job and they decide not to call you back, it's still the same end result as if not applying, right? So, like, what is the downside, right? That there really is no, no real downside, and we talk about imposter syndrome and stuff, like if you want, um, but also see there's a. Uh, well, okay, actually, before I, I want to get into this because I think that there there's some some things for us to pull out of uh, guesses. Yeah. Um, there, I would say I would push back on you, and I would say that there is a cost of applying, and and that that that's time, but yeah. when you're young. You are, you're time rich and you're most likely capital poor. But as you get older and if, well, I guess if you do well in life, you're going to have less time, but hopefully you'll have more money. So yeah, yeah. I think you, you invest that time to take those risks. And um, I mean, I just was looking, I was totally creeping on your LinkedIn page. I saw your uh, Naval Ravikant post. Yeah. Um, he talks about the three kinds of luck. So right oh, now yeah. you're, you're talking about just hustle luck, like just flip yeah. over enough rocks yeah, and you're yeah. going to find something that'll that'll turn into something yeah yeah he talks yeah there's there's four types of luck he talks about right there's dumb luck blind luck which is you just born into it second type of luck is like you mentioned hustle luck third type of luck is is uh you creating those opportunities for yourself by becoming known in a in a type of yeah like you reached out reputation right yeah like well you're reaching out to me you're like hey i see the platform you built i love the work you've done so this opportunity i basically created for myself but i mean it takes like a lot of sweat equity yeah, um, yeah, but the I one thing that, we only oh, sorry, go on. Didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, I, yeah. I was I was gonna get into Gus's point, but it sounds like yeah. there's still so much. Let's, let's get into there. No, I'm just just this concept of, of time, right? Time is the only thing all of us have. Like we have nothing, right? But time. That that is the only thing that that we actually have is time, and how we use that time, right? So yes, there is a cost of applying for a job, but you look at the return on that time investment, right? For you to apply for a job and then spend maybe the next 15, 20 minutes trying to find the right people to to message so that you get your profile noticed, that return on that time investment is outsized, right? And th- th- those are leverage points that you want to use, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it's, it's how you utilize your time. If all you are doing is LinkedIn easy apply, LinkedIn easy apply, LinkedIn easy apply for 100 different jobs in a row, then you might get lucky and you might get some of that blind luck and and somebody just decides to bring you on. You're just giving it up at that point. Like, you know, I'm just throwing it out into the ether, into the, the universe that hopefully somebody will call me back. But if you are more proactive, if you're taking it into your own hands, if you apply for the job and then you go to the LinkedIn page of the company, find a technical recruiter, message the technical recruiter, find a data scientists that might have hiring level type of title and message them and say, Hey, look, I applied for this job at your company. Just a heads up. You, you know, I hope you can 
hope you uh, let me rephrase it just heads up apply for this job at your company you can find my resume in whatever inbox you got but let me take a minute to sell you on my skills i've got sql excel data visualization skills i've worked with tableau blah blah here's a couple of things that i've done that you can look at as tangible proof of of, of my work um and just template out like spend like two hours templating it out templating out a, a solid reach out letter like that that clearly um differentiates you from 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 whoever else your your you know competition is and you know spend some time learning about how to write a good ad and how to write good ad copy and then apply that to the way you reach out to people right um well that's i feel like that's my superpower right there yeah i did sales for three years before i went and got my mba there you go man then then you know there's like what's the what's the anatomy of an ad there's there's the hook there's the problem here's the hook here's here's about me Here's mm-hmm. a problem. You need somebody to fill a role. Here's a solution. Me with these skills, right? Uh, here's the call to action. Hit me up and let's talk, right? Like use the use the anatomy of a, of a solid ad in the way that you reach out to people. Um, also, too, okay, I, I love this idea of reaching out directly to people who may hire you. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because um, in the uh, podcast episode, so we had. Um, it's funny. It's it's. it's ridiculous how the episodes I feel the best about sometimes perform the worst. So one of my former business partners is a fractional CXO. So like he does everything um, like he'll come in and basically flip a company, except he's not a a CFO. Um, And, and we had an episode where he came in and helped Molly craft a message to people who were hiring managers. And what was kind of cool about this is that like we searched for analytics manager, Greensboro and turns out like the top person, that um, showed up, we actually had had talked to and had a pitch meeting with. So it was it was really cool seeing that like, okay, if you meet people who are hiring managers, they they may give you a job or they may introduce you to someone who does have a job. So it's like connecting with not only hiring managers, but I guess people who are a vector force where they have like multiple connections within a specific space. Yeah, I mean, but then again, you're you're still relying on external type of luck. You start, you have to create the luck yourself, right? And you do that by proof of work, right? By by reaching out, by having a, a profile on GitHub, Tableau Public, by creating content, posting it on LinkedIn, right? You are you're, you're you're taking more of that into your own hands. You're becoming more and more noticeable. I don't know if we're speaking past each other at this point. I think we are a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because I was gonna say I I, I wasn't saying you're saying yes and. Okay. Like, okay. like, yeah, yeah. like, yes, I think it's, it's smart to reach out to people who might hire you, but I'm just saying the, the way that we did it was a slightly, you applied for the job, then reached out to the contact. We yeah. reached out to all the hiring managers in the area, say, Hey, let's have a coffee. So then yeah. when, when they're looking, th- those are, those are opportunities that haven't even manifested yet. So when yes, they are looking to hire, then, yeah. yeah. So when they are looking to hire, it's like, oh, well, you know, Molly just had a, co- a cup of coffee with her last week. She seemed great. Yeah. And then, you, then you're you, you've bypassed that whole application process. Yeah. And then you're st- that I like that a lot because I've done that myself. Um, because mm-hmm. I live I live in in a small town in Canada. I mean, smallish city in Canada, Winnipeg, right? So when I was first transitioning into data science, there were not a whole lot of opportunities for me. But you know what I did do? I looked for every single tech company that was in Winnipeg. And I found their people on LinkedIn, anybody who had the, who had the title manager 
anybody who looked like they're tangentially working with data. And I just messaged them and say, hey, look, uh, I know you're not actively hiring for a data scientist right now, but let me just take a few minutes to sell you on my uh, data science skills. I've done this, this, and this. Here's a link to my, you know, profile if you want to, you know, check out my work. Um, here's a couple other things I've done. If there's an opportunity in the future, I would love to connect. And I've had people hit me back up and bring me in for interviews for job positions that didn't even exist. And it's, you know, it's through, I mean, you, yeah, it's, it's a little bit of definitely networking, but it's more just being able to to create that momentum and create that luck for yourself. So intersection of both. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause I, I was about to say, I think that we're, we're agreeing. We're just coming at the, yeah. the solution from the back or the side door. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, my, my whole philosophy on everything is, you know, re- release everything that you cannot control and just ignore that stuff. That is all noise and focus only on the things that you can actually control. Right. And that's the actions that you take. And, and if you just right. focus on that, and if you think about it from the perspective of a job search, you know, what are the things you can control? Well, you can control how how nice your resume is. You can control your the quality of your portfolio projects. You can control the quality of the uh, letters that you use to reach out to people with, right? You can control how you are developing a brand in the field, right? Double down on everything that you can control and and kind of let go of everything that you can't, right? Um, because there's stuff. Yeah, it's it's very very difficult, right? And I mean, yeah, it takes a lot of practice, and, and it just takes say the mentality of okay, just forget about the results, man. Results. If you put in the work, if you do things right, the result that you want will happen, right? You just have to actually let go. You have to right. let go of of outcomes. Um, we'll. I mean, we're taking this conversation in a different direction. <laughs> say, this this conversation, we're, we're like what twenty four minutes in. We've gone off the rails here. Oh, dude, I love <laughs> Which it. I, I knew it I was going. I knew it was going to happen that way, and I'm totally fine. The uh, the the outlines are just in case. Uh, you know, I, I feel like actually it's it's useless at this point. I can just like chat with you. Yeah, but whatever the people want. I see that people got a lot. I mean, a lot of comments in here. I'm, I'm just kind of scrolling through. Uh, but yeah, let's let's talk about guts. guts okay, yeah. so um. So his advice, Gus is saying, learn SQL, Excel, data visualization tools such as Tower, Tableau, Power BI, Python, or R. You also need to understand the basics. Yeah. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, who? who I mean, Kate, okay, how do I how do I phrase this comment? Anyone who is looking for a job, a data related job, whether it's analytics or data science, they know all those things. So yeah, you should probably know them as well. It's not like I mean, who's going to apply for a job that does not have any of these skills, right? Obviously, that person is going to be screened out, right? So, to I mean, he's probably answering that first question, how do you get an entry-level job? Well, yeah, learn SQL, all these things, right? And this is common knowledge, right? Like, this is extremely common knowledge. You could type in a quick Google search, what are the basic skills for data analysis, basic skills for data science, and you'll come up with, with this. Um, this is extremely important, okay? But... But now everybody that we are competing against has these skills. We should recognize that, right? Everybody that is also applying for the same job that we're applying for most likely has these skills. Great. Now, how do you differentiate yourself? Well, you differentiate yourself by showing how you've applied these skills in a tangible project, right? You can talk about your previous work experience, how you communicate your ability to utilize these skills and provide value to the company. Um, I'll pause there. Okay, I have 
man, I feel like we're just, we're harping on Molly here, but, um, so the thing about Molly is, and I think that this is great advice. Mm-hmm. So Molly got hired for a job that she can't even do. So a lot of her work is going to be coding in Python. I don't think she, she, like in the interview, she said, oh yeah, I took three quarters of a Python course on data camp. And mm-hmm. I kind of didn't like the structure and here's why. Um, but what she did do is she had a Tableau public portfolio. So there are multiple things here. So number one, I think that data visualization tools, Power BI and Tableau, which I can speak to personally, um, those are the lowest hanging juicy fruit. You can spend two to three days and you can have at least a base level understanding of it. Like you can take the data, you can clean it up a little bit and you can build out very basic dashboard. Uh, that, that may be enough of a signal. And, and it sounds like in this situation it was for her to get an entry level um, data science job. But also I want you guys to think through what is your unfair advantage? Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So for Molly's thing, I would say this, like, and this is like the meta skill that I'm, I'm actually trying to get to as well. And I think we're, we're aligning here is these things, these tools, they're just tools, right? What tools are just tools, but your ability to learn the tool is what is more important. So I'm, I'm willing to bet that during the interview process, during whatever process Molly went through, she was clearly able to communicate that she has learned hard things before and can continue to learn hard things, right? And can continue to to learn whatever tool is necessary to get the job done, right? So just that ability to focus, that ability to learn is crucial. And it, it sounds like weird. People are probably like, oh, man, well, anybody can know, learn how. No, no, not everybody can, man. People, yeah. people get distracted. They'll look at something. They'll just get confused. Like, oh, shit, man, I can't fucking do this thing. Oh, my God. Oh, sorry. Do you have to cuss? <laughs> <laughs> or they're not curious. That's yeah. another signal, too. Yes. Like, I'm yeah. curious and I want to learn. Yeah. yeah. Exactly, man. That's huge, right? And those are hard skills that nobody teaches you, right? Nobody teaches you how to learn. I've gone through, I mean, I've got graduate education. I don't know how many years of schooling that was, but nobody ever once taught me how to learn. I had to go and learn how to learn myself, right? Yeah. I taught myself how to learn in high school when I started playing music and joined bands. Yeah. I mean, that's really where most of the learning went on for me. I mean, I felt like memorization in my high school classes, but really where like I, my first experience to like, oh, I'm going to learn this scale because it plugs into this song and here I can do so like, and then it starts to get more complex. Right. And and but, how, how did you learn, though? You didn't learn just by watching somebody. You iterated, right? You right. iterated and, and you practiced and practiced. So learning happens across iterations, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen by passively just taking a course or passively just watching some YouTube video. You have to You have to actually iterate. You have to get in there, right? You have to try things and see what works, right? Um, yeah. You know, you... you <laughs> Do observe correct. Okay. So I did want to circle back around to what I meant by you need to identify what's your unfair advantage. Yeah. yeah. And that's what your unique perspective is. Yeah. So superpower, to, superpower, I'd say as well. Right. right? Yeah. 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 That's what's like. So my yeah. superpower is that, well, I've got many superpowers. There you go, man. <laughs> but, <the> chest. Uh. <laughs> but so, um, well, like being, being like, I would say sales is a superpower that has multiple. I'm good at speaking. I'm, I'm people like me and I can influence, but then also you sprinkle, sprinkle in that like technical acumen. And then all of a sudden that's like a very potent force. So what, what really worked with Molly was that she was, you're right. She, she showed, I mean, this was a three month transition 
I mean, she, she I, I convinced her that she you need to get the the um the new opportunity, and then studied for two months, got the interview, and then I think within a, that third month she had already started working this new job. Her unique value proposition was that she is a data scientist for a disaster re- relief firm. So her environmental science background coupled with that skill stack. It's that intersection, man. Those right. talent stacking. That's what it, that's what you have to do, right? So that's when you discover your superpowers, find these intersections of things that you can combine, and then you become the best at that intersection of things, right? Right. It's like what? Specific knowledge? Specific knowledge, right? Feels like <laughs> feels like feels like work, uh feels like play to me, but looks like work to others. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah and, and it's funny. I was watching your previous episode because, um, man, you're, you're on like a media sprint today. I'm everywhere, bro. That's, that's how I roll, man. <laughs> but you're saying that the pod, your podcast, Artist of Data Science, yeah, is for you. It's for me, man. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people get value out of it, but you, it seems like I'm not as curious as as you are about certain subjects. You're like researching having a ball playing like learning yeah. it's fun mm-hmm. but it's also pretty technical high cognitive load work yeah i mean i'm just curious about a lot of things man like i just love to study everything and just because i am a data scientist doesn't mean i limit myself to reading only data science type of stuff right like mm-hmm. i love economics i love game theory i love behavioral science right i love psychology i love learning about influence and persuasion right i just have a wide range of interests and I, I use the, the the podcast as a opportunity to explore those interests and then just share it with people and, you know, take people on this journey that I'm on as well, that, you know, talking to really cool people about really interesting things uh, and sharing it with the world. Um, yeah, man. All right. These, these comment sections, this comment section has gotten out of control. It's like it's scrolling through. Blowing <laughs> up, man. Blowing yeah. Up. If you guys have any more questions, those who are um, watching on LinkedIn or YouTube, continue to ask questions, ask them succinctly though. Cause I'm having a hard time reading yeah. paragraphs of questions and plug into, um, I agree what you're saying. Yeah. yeah but, so okay. I'm keeping up the questions here. There's somebody here, uh, Santil Kumar saying, what would be the expectation from the people who are trying to switch uh, t- the technology after eight, nine years, what will the interview process be? How do we get the required package we expect? So, I mean, the expectation from, I mean, you're gonna have the same expectations as, as anyone, right? Going into, I mean, I don't know which role you're talking about, but if you're going to a data science role, that's gonna be the same expectations as a data scientist, right? Baseline level of skills, right? In terms of, you know, knowing a few things from linear algebra, not everything. You don't need to go hack the Hessian or expand Ronsky and you just need to know, you need to know some basics of linear algebra. You need to do a little bit of calculus, a couple of handfuls of the most commonly used machine learning algorithms. The interview process is going to be the same for you as it is for everyone else. There's the HR phone screen. Then there's the technical screen. Then there's the take-home assignment coding challenge. And then there's the in-person interview, right? Uh, And the package, like you got to know how to negotiate, right? So negotiation is a key skill and you have to be unafraid to to ask for a higher salary right um so i just want to touch on that question i know it was high level there but happy to to dig in on anything there well i know you wanted to talk about negotiation yeah man negotiation is important man you have to be able to to not leave money on the table right like you know companies will set aside a particular compensation 
allowance for a role, right? And they'll come at you at, from the bottom of that range, right? You can negotiate um, and not be afraid of losing the job. Like, they're, I mean, I don't I've, I've, I've coached hundreds of, of students in the negotiation process and uh, not one of them has ever had a offer rescinded because they clapped back and, and wanted a higher salary, right? More often than not, they, they get that little bit extra. It might only be 10 to 15%. Um, but the basic formula is this, use the anchoring effect to your advantage, right? So they're going to come at you with the salary and you just give them a number that's, you know, 30% higher and say, oh man, that's such a great generous offer. Thank you so much for extending this generous offer to me. Really excited about working for your company. I'm really looking forward to uh, contributing positively to the company. Um, but that salary is below my target range. And then you just be quiet. Don't say anything. Ooh, that's tough. Right? That that's takes tough. some self-control. Yeah, you just be quiet. Don't say anything. And then they're going to they're gonna sit there and wait for you to fumble. And then you'll be like, they'll, they'll come back and say, oh, what is your set target range? And then you hit them with the formula. You hit them with how you feel. Because nobody can argue with you about how you feel, right? Nobody's going to argue with you about how you feel. Well, you know what? I feel based on my qualifications, based on what I can bring to the table, and based on what the uh, what the market can bear, I feel that my market value is in this range. Then you shut up. Don't say anything. They're going to come back. They're going to say something. You just ignore all that. Then you hit them with a the belief because nobody can argue with your beliefs, right? <laughs> and then you're like, well, you know what? Again, I, I definitely appreciate the offer, generous offer. Really looking forward to working for the company. You guys are doing awesome things. I can't wait to contribute. But I, I believe my market value is in this range, right? And then again, same thing. And then you hit them with the facts. <clears throat> like, you know what? Uh, based on Birchwork Salary Guide or Ali Salary Guide, data scientist, this market, my level of experience should be making this range. And I don't want my salary to be a distraction, right? Ooh, I like that. Yeah. I like that, the way you phrase that. Yeah. I don't want it to be a distraction. Yep. And you know, more often than not, they'll if 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 they really can't go go any higher, then at least you tried, right? Mm -hmm. At least you put in the work and tried. Like, hey, you know what? All good. I look forward to growing with your company and 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 getting that sal that salary that that I you know that I'm looking for in the future, whatever. Um, but yeah, that's kind of my formula, right? Anchoring effect. Hit them with the feeling. Hit them with the belief. Hit them with the facts. Let them know you don't want to be distracted. There you go. Um. Okay, I have thoughts on this, on negotiation. I, so I've never actually been a full-time analyst, which is kind of ironic that I literally, that's the name of my podcast, how to do this thing that I haven't done. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's, a, that's a new name. Yeah, yeah, it should be. Yeah, that is ridiculous. But um, I have increased. So, oh man, this is almost embarrassing how, how low this rate so when I started, so I, I think I, I don't know if I've told you this story, but I, I, I turned my last internship into my first consulting client um, back five years ago when I, when I, so my last semester of my MBA program, I turned that into my first consulting client. Guess how much I was charging for my time? I mean, I hope at least four or 500 bucks. And I was, I was, <laughs> I was charging 30 bucks an hour. Oh shit, dude. And um, negotiating up from 30 to 32, I almost lost that client. It was just the, like, it, I was worried about this for probably like a two month period because he was like kind of pushing me around a little bit. Um, what's funny is that I had like, I mean, we had massive wins. So like uncovered a $350,000 under optimization in their supply chain and I'm getting paid 
like this, this small amount. What's funny is I then use those win cases to negotiate, to, to land new clients. Guess how much I was charging for these new clients? See, I'm not four or $500 is a lot. I mean, you set the bar high, man. You got to. So the, the next client I got after that, I charged 175. Nice. So, nice. but I use that like kind of, um, terrible, not, it wasn't a terrible cause it was a great learning experience. But what does that guy say? You either need to learn or earn. Yeah. yeah. Ideally you do it, both. Yeah. I was, I was learning in that first client and getting, racking up some major wins and then using those as ammunition for negotiation when it comes to, um, getting a new client. Now I'm going to circle this back around to the audience here. What does this mean for the audience? Well, it may be better for you to eventually get a new job as opposed to negotiating up mm. once you get into the space. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, so that wasn't a very confident. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, <laughs> I mean, my, my whole thing is man, like it's, it's your life, your time. You should be doing what you want with your life and your time and charging what you want mm-hmm. that you feel that you are, you know, that you can deliver value for, right? So it might just in your situation might be a case for maybe I just have shitty clients, man. I need to find better clients, right? Because um, that, that's definitely a thing, right? Uh, you can end up with with clients that are just you know well, demand yeah. too much. Yeah, I mean, I see that. It's this weird pricing psychology of I was getting I was getting paid thirty an hour, and then they were like well, we want you to rearrange this. And it was like, I was being hawked on every work that I did. Yeah. Then you, you send them a bill and it's $10,000 and they're like, good job. It's like, they don't even like, look, they just, there's some authority built into um, getting paid more. And I think that's also a signal of if you're willing to take a lower salary, it's kind of on like the power dynamic side of things. They're like, well, what's, what's wrong with this person? Like, yeah, they fool yeah. us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I definitely agree with that perspective. And if you do have to take a lower salary, at least take a lower salary. That's going to allow you to set you up for for a higher salary, right? Mm-hmm. So make sure if you if you are taking a lower salary when moving into a job, hopefully you're earning and learning at the same time, and it's at least going to set you up two steps ahead of where you were previously before getting that lower salary. Does that make sense? So you want to be strategic with how you do that. Um, but, Wait, I'm not, I'm not quite sure. Is it kind of like the, the, I didn't want to just, I don't know. I almost feel like a braggart right now of like saying how I negotiated up $150 uh, or whatever. Um, but I wanted to tell that story of like, this is the, this is how I've negotiated. And I realized that like, I mean, it was painstaking. Um, it was also demoralizing having this client say like, you're just not worth $2 an hour more. Yeah. I would have cut the client at that time, to be honest. I'd be like, all right, cool. Well, you can yeah. figure it out. You can go hire some dude on Fiverr for $28 an hour, save yourself $4 and see how that works out for you. This um, was within the first year. It was like a real touch and go. Yeah. <laughs> I like, I don't know how the, the conventional knowledge is like learn a skill set and then start a consulting agency. I like started consulting and learning at the same time. It was just like a, a pressure cooker. I'm so glad I'm no longer in that period of my life. It was yeah. rough. Yeah, man. Uh, sorry, uh, uh, my apologies. I, I think I was talking past you there because I was uh, I got distracted by some some really interesting people leaving interesting comments on YouTube. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I'm like, Al <laughs> got pulled into a meeting last minute. Everyone who's listening. Yeah. So like, usually I have help. Like I like 
I would be able to like, all right, let's pull up a question and then Al can yeah. like facilitate a conversation. So um, we're flying solo here, but um, okay. Did you want to answer that question from LinkedIn and then we can get to Dr. Yeah, Paul's let's question. do it, man. Yeah. Um, what was the question you saw? No, no, it was just comments. This dude's talking about uh, use common sense, uh, intellectual honesty and morals, and then something about being a qualified female. I don't understand what this is on about but um uh, and then he's saying these influencers are part of the problem people need to call them out all right cool uh call call us out i mean yeah do it just fucking yeah. do it right do it call oh, me out tag, we got, me, tag we me on linkedin it. yeah tag me on linkedin <laughs> and call me out like just fucking do it man like oh, shit. Call, call us out man like on what trying to help people and, and oh like, yeah i see it I see Abe saying, "Love, love the aggressiveness." Hey, man. <laughs> it looks like we've got our own community policing for yeah, us. Yeah, man. We may I eventually don't... need to get a mod. Um, we don't usually have uh... trolls. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so yeah, I don't know who this. It's his. I wonder if that's his real name. Yeah, who knows? Uh, but dude, Daniel Hall is awesome. I met uh, I met Daniel um, real briefly during I think it was like a DSCO virtual um, like networking session where we're chatting for a few minutes, man. Really so, good, uh, do you know who he? Do you know who he is now? Yeah, yeah, no, Daniel Hall, yeah, for sure. He just uh, got promoted to the dean of the business school at HBO. Oh wow! Yeah, nice, nice. H H H High Point University. Nice, dude. That's awesome, dude. Congrats, Daniel. Uh, was he saying how many informational interviews should an entry level analyst job, uh, entry level analyst do? Um, so I'm not sure what you mean by informational interviews like do you mean just like the entire job search process or okay it's yeah. funny we've had this argument behind closed yeah. doors so yeah. <laughs> i think informational interview is very much like academic speak mm. of um basically it means because i would say hey let's go grab a, a beer or a coffee okay. he says no you need to have like and i am interviewing you about your job and it's like uh, i i don't know maybe they they just want to put some bumpers on these conversations so that so that the um the students don't run on and like yeah. it gives because most of the the connections i've made it's like more casual this it basically an informational interview is like almost a formal approach to making yeah. it kind of like the the process that we laid out with um molly yeah we could say what, yeah what are your thoughts i i like in, in the context we're talking about here like i would i, I would only do that if i have multiple offers to choose from then i'll be like hey you know what you know i've got i've got multiple offers that can really affect the course of my life and my trajectory let me let me talk to each each person let me see if i can get somebody on the company just to talk with them to to see what, what it's like to make sure i'm making the best decision okay That's wait I, I, would do it. I think uh, i've done a poor job of explaining an informational interview is basically a networking session so there's no mm -hmm. there may not even be an opportunity there may not be a job at hand Okay. It's just like, oh, I see that um, you work in the supply chain at I don't know X company. I want to learn more about that. Can I? Yeah. Can I? Can I? Do you have time for a thirty-minute informational interview? Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, when you're young, early in your career, I mean, you're exploring versus later in your career, you're exploiting, right? So when you're early in your career, take on meetings and and mm -hmm. connect with people and try to try to learn as much as you can. Um, but realize that networking is really only going to get you so far, right? At the end of the day, you need proof of work. You need to show people that you are able to actually execute. Um, and, and you know, whether that's through a project, whether that's showing something that you've done that's difficult before and, 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 you know, communicating that you can transfer knowledge between domains like Molly has done. Um, but I mean, 
I, I, I don't know if there's there's a a number for that. Um, I mean, just as, as much as it takes for you to 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 do what you got to do. But I mean, if you're if you're out there spending time uh, interviewing, doing informational interviews, that means you're not spending time building and doing and iterating and learning. Um, so, yeah. okay. So getting back to the hustle luck metaphor of like turning over enough rocks, mm-hmm. how many interviews do you think a typical person should expect to have to go on? Because Molly only went on two. So she's, yeah. she's shooting at 50%, which is like yeah. unheard of. Yeah. So it, it depends on the market and the location, right? For me in Winnipeg, when I was heavy in the job search, moving from biostatistics into data science, and this was mid uh, 2018 when I was doing that. So coming up exactly three years ago and in a smaller market, um, I w- I did like, I think, I, I mean, grand total, probably about 36 interviews. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. 36 interviews total, not, not necessarily different companies, but different stages, different levels, right? Um, 36, 36 interviews before landing a, a few different offers. And I can imagine that if you're in a bigger market with, you know, a lot of competition then it, that the number or in a lot of companies, that number will probably be a lot higher. Um, but I, I kind of have this, this, this mindset of uh, when it comes to applying for jobs, right? Any application I submit, I assign a prior probability to that. And I'll, and for me, this, this prior probability, I just remain constant at 1%. Any application I apply I assigned that a probability of 1% of me actually landing that job, meaning in a hundred possible futures, one of those features, I'll get this job. And as I progress along that interview process, I'll update that probability. Oh, I did pretty decent on the HR interview. You know what? I think I'm going to bump my probability up to about one and a half, one75 percent Oh, great. I, I did good on the, the coding challenge. Okay, great. I'll bump that up to like 7%, right? And, and increment it up little bit by little bit, readjusting your probability of landing that job. And me personally, the way I do it is I'll cap my probability of landing any job at like 15%, meaning 15% of possible futures, I will end up having this job. Um, and this is just, it's just a way for me to, to just temper and tame my expectations and just r- remain, you know, some bit of equanimity during the job search process. And, you know, again, this is a this is using probability in the subjective sense. Like I'm a Bayesian, I'm not a fucking frequentist. Uh so this is very much engraved. Wait, in what? How I think. <laughs> you, you, you just yeah. like you threw in things casually and I'm no, you're a Bayesian? What does that mean? I just my philosophy of, of probability, right? Pro- probability is very philosophical, right? It is born of philosophy. And there's two schools of thoughts. One is the frequentist approach and one is the Bayesian approach, right? And frequentist approach is very much relying on past events to kind of predict the future. Very much like things have happened, therefore this might happen. Whereas Bayesian will is completely okay with saying, based on my experience and what I've seen in my lifetime, right, this will happen. For example, when I wake up tomorrow morning, I assign a pretty high probability that the sun is going to show up. At some point during the day, well, do you really think like this? Yeah. Wow, we have like I, I we have like such a different way that our minds work. Like, yeah. I don't think of probabilities. <laughs> I, I, like, I'll have like an intuition, yeah. but I'm not like, okay, this is a 15. percent Man, that's yeah. wild. You have like a much more mathematical mind than mine. I think everything is probability. Probability is life. Life is a probability distribution. Um, 
Yeah, probability is ingrained. It's fundamental, I think. <laughs> We're getting deep here, man. Probability is fundamental to to reality, I think. Um, yeah. Okay. We just had another question pop up. Um, so what are some good projects? And to the second point that there aren't a lot of data sets, we're actually trying to tackle that with this uh, new learning platform slash startup that we're launching. Yeah, this person clearly does not follow me on LinkedIn, that's for sure, because you, <laughs> you would have had data sets and, and project ideas uh, coming your way if you follow me on LinkedIn. But look, the best type of project for you to do is one that you are interested in. Follow your own obsession, right? Naval Ravikant says that. Follow your own obsession. Whatever it is that you are interested in, whatever it is you are natural at, double down on that, right? So in this case, let's say you are excellent at software engineering, but you want to move into data science. Well, then double down on either a data engineering project or a machine learning engineering project, meaning you are deploying something, right? Double down on that. Whatever it is that you're interested in, double down on that, right? Or maybe there's an interesting intersection of things that you're interested in, right? Um, uh, let's just think, uh, for, for example, uh, you know, somebody from my community, uh, Karush Alizada, he did a project. He's a, he studied PhD in philosophy, but he got interested in data science. So what did he do? Created the philosophy data project, which is just NLP modeling of philosophical text to kind of class. You could pass in any sentence and it'll classify which school of philosophy that that sentence falls into, right? That's a unique intersection. And he carried that through to completion because it was genuinely interesting to him, right? So as a hiring manager myself, I'm not going to be wowed and dazzled by a particular type of project. I'm going to be wowed and dazzled by your enthusiasm for the work that you did when I talked to you about your project. So the good a good project is one that you are actually going to do to completion, one that you have a deep interest in, one that's going to showcase the breadth of your ability right? Uh, and I mean, that, that second part of that sentence is just a complete fabrication of, of, <laughs> of it's, not, it's not true. It's not a true statement. Um, wow. You're, you're holding punches here. <laughs> man, I, I, I think, I think it's just because people think I'm just so chill all the time. I gotta let them know, man. I yeah. Know, I was about to say, I, I'm like really disappointed. You're not chill. <laughs> hey, man, I you've, been, you've been rather aggro this whole episode. No, that, I, look, man, I think, I think it's just, you know, no, no, Maybe you're responding like, to my energy. I love it, man. I like you a lot, John. You're like the real <laughs> cool guy, like for real, man. So I'm, I'm glad oh. that we get to bounce off each other like this. It's, it's it's definitely a lot of fun. Well, okay. So I think that to play devil's advocate or to defend Berku, which I, 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 I love that we have such a international um, audience. I feel like I'm constantly humiliated by trying to pronounce these names from all over the world. It's, it's, it's kind of like a running joke at this point. Um, but I think that the mainstream approach is to have these data sets that are cooked up in a, like a professor's textbook. And I think that, yes, there are a lot of data sets out there. But I think he just might not have been exposed to you, yeah. Because I, I think that the that the the like if, if this is a big pool, you're like this. You're in this section of the pool, yeah, and there's exactly. they're seeing all of this. Yeah. Um. 
So yeah. I'll give a couple just right off the top. Okay. So, so like Berku, like literally go follow me on LinkedIn. I released like a 15 page document of just a bunch of different data sets for different domains. It'll be really, really useful for you. Look at that. Um, you got a new fan. Right on. I appreciate <laughs> it. But there's, there's a few cool places that you can find data, right? If you like data that's relatively cleaned, uh, maybe OpenML is a good source. Um, that that's a really good source. But if you want to work with like real world data, go to like an open data portal, right? My friend Mark Nagelberg, based here in Winnipeg, he's a data scientist for the city of Winnipeg, and he did this super cool project. And what he did was he went to the city of Winnipeg's open data portal and saw that they had data sets that was just all about the different trees that were planted all around the city. Hmm. And it was just this really rich data set that he was able to do a project based on and talking about the different types of trees and different types of neighborhoods, average age of trees, distribution of the types of trees. Um, so what, I guess the point I'm making here is that uh, you type in any major city name and like open data portal along with that, you'll, you'll find some, some good data sets. Um, so, okay. So I feel like this is a uh, borderlines shameless plug. And like, I genuinely want to hear your thoughts on this. So what we're doing with the, the Silvertone, like learn.silvertoneanalytics.com is I'm opening up my data sets to the people who are taking the courses. So it's kind of like this weird meta thing where it's like, um, like I just recorded a lecture yesterday of how we used our YouTube analytics to build out a buyer persona nice. and, and then how, why that matters. So, so like, okay, we validated that there's a market for this. You know, we get like, I don't know, 12,000 views and it's males between the age of 35 and 44 who live in the United States. And then I talked about like, we went down all these rabbit holes of like why this is a good decision. And then also, well, I mean, I don't know. Are you, are you familiar with buyer persona? Like why are buyer personas actually important? Yeah. Cause you want to make sure you're developing and marketing a product that will get bought right at the end of the day, you don't Perfect. want to just create something that nobody wants. Um, so you having the YouTube analytics uh, helps you determine product market fit. Uh, so that's really right. Cool, man. Yeah. Right. Which, which is like, um, yeah, so it's like is the right demographic, but then I, we haven't even touched on the psychographic. Yeah, so yeah. what 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 is the what is like the the pain point? What is the the this, the motivation for them to to buy this? Yep. Um, and we actually like in the lecture, I was like, "Here's Molly. Is she our target demographic?" Mm -hmm. And I broke down like why it is, and then um, validated that. I can't tell if this is a good idea or if there's a reason why no one else is doing this. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, I think a lot of people are doing that just probably behind the scenes and not just as, as open or, or public as, as even making it. Cause I mean, that's essentially what you're doing. You know, you know, most startup labs will have that. They'll have that, 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 you know, customer, uh, customer exploration, trying to identify their pain points and, and identify products that will help ease that pain point. Um, so, yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's, what's well, just interesting is that it's, I've identified that a lot of people, um, do know how to use these tools, but they don't understand how to apply them. And that's what we're trying to get at is like teaching business to people who are kind of tech, more technical. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, a, that's that thing data scientists should know. They should understand business, right? They should understand products. Um, but what do you think about that? Do you think most I of like them that. do? Um, I mean, my experience is heavily biased to aspiring data scientists and people breaking into the field. And those people seem to think that the only thing you need to know is some tech skills. 
And the only thing you need to know is like Python. And that's, that's it. Like that's all you do as a data scientist, which is completely wrong. Like you need to understand business and you have to love business. Um, because right. like the way I see it, like uh, the, the, the data scientist is, is a bridge between two worlds. They are a bridge between the technical world on one end and the business world on the other end. And they are in the middle, right? And they're able to take business requirements this hand and communicate them as technical requirements and make the thing work. Um, so that's, yeah. Right. Well, I mean, even in my MBA program, uh, also we got lights on data. Thanks for tuning hey, in. Jordan, what up, man? Um, even in my MBA program, there, there didn't seem to be this level of um, like, like it seemed disjointed. It was like you learn the tool and you, you ran case studies, but they were completely separate classes. Yeah. To where, I mean, that's what I've, essentially this learning platform is like the third iteration. So I taught uh, case studies and business analytics at uh, Greensboro College. And the students seem to love working with real data to actually build out a, like a, a marketing campaign. And then we, we track the data and kind of track success. And um, I've never seen that before. And I think, I think the reason that that doesn't happen is that it's an issue of scale. But I could be wrong. It could be like I'm making a terrible mistake. Here. I mean, what, what what's what's the downside, right? Like you take risk, right? You take risk of right. failure, risk of humiliation. You take risks under your own name, and that's how you get rewarded by society, right? So take that risk, do it, man. Um, it, if it fails, no, big deal. You probably learned something along the way. I'm sure. I'm sure you. There, there's no universe there's no reality where you end up knowing less than what you knew going into this process so let's do it man who cares who cares yeah. about the end result yeah let's do it. well i mean it's 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 done i mean it's like it's launched it's live we are now we've had eight people sign up and we're not even like marketing it yet yeah. it's not fully built out which is another thing that's weird it's like launching that's like such a tech thing to launch it while you're building it <laughs> yeah yeah pre pre pre-launch pre-launch with the seed launch Pre-pre-launch, right. pre-launch, <laughs> and then launch. <laughs> okay, I did want to circle back around to, we. I just mentioned um, that I teach at High Point University in Greensboro College. What are your thoughts on the current state of education, specifically um, for people getting data jobs? And you're asking me about that, huh? So, <laughs> uh, I mean... I got well, you said you have, you, you have a master's, right? Yeah, an unfortunate holder of a master's degree. Um like this, this whole system that we're in 2021, man, this whole system we're working with, it, it, this is a 500 year old system of degrees and school and, and things like that. Like, does it really fit our modern world? Like, do we need to actually, do I need to actually sit in class, listen to somebody talk and I get paper at the end of it? Why can't I just do that on my own time? Because there's already people teaching me how to do stuff online. So me personally, like, I, like I value education, I value learning above everything else, but I value more uh, self-education, uh, self-learning, the ability to learn on your own, right? Mm -hmm. um, and and what I mean by on your own is like obviously you can have people that you can work with, cohorts, a a, a leader and instructor of sorts. But I don't think this whole like four-year process of having to spend you know two years on on general education that was the same shit i did in high school and then two years on my specialization like i don't know dude i'm not i'm not for universities i'm not for uh, things like that anymore um so I'm, we, just, I'm going we, off on a tangent we happen to have a dean of a business school here in the chat yeah. log 
Hey, and yeah, I think that we're having some spirited debate here. So yeah. his his question is, why do people pay for gym membership? Do I look like I go to the gym, man? You've heard of this abstract concept, right? Of, of Dr. Hall, I'm actually kind of curious as to where you're headed with this. Why do people yeah. pay for gym memberships? Um, yeah. Is it to feel good? Like, isn't that the gym gym model that um, like they rack up on January and then like two thirds of the people don't go? Like, I, yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, he just said LOL. I I feel like I'm totally missing uh what, what he's saying. Here. Yeah. No, look, ed- education and, <clears throat> and learning I value more than anything, but is our current model the right fit for our world and how things are progressing along? I don't know. Like I, I don't know. I'm not enough of an expert in education to know. Um, but I have learned more outside of school than I have inside of school. And, you know, Alex Santana has a question here. What have you learned from the experts that you think you wouldn't have learned on your own? Um, I mean, just how to apply things in real world, I, I guess, right? Like, I, I don't think I would have been able to learn. Oh, how about this, man? I've learned from their mistakes, right? Like people have gone out there and they've messed up on my behalf and they've come and told me about how they've messed up. So now I don't have to do that same kind of mess up on my own. Um, so from the experts, I've learned how to um, avoid pitfalls and failures, um, especially from people like, you know, my good friend, Vin Vashista, who's always talking about uh, what he's learned throughout his career. Uh, Joe Reese as well. Both of those guys, man, epic legends that just talk about, they, they share their experience and they, they talk about the mistakes they've made. So then I don't have to go and make those same mistakes. So that's what you can learn from the experts. Okay, so Dr. Hall has has responded again. Some people need the okay. So the the membership is a commitment advice. Yeah, um, yeah. Also, I had some points that I wanted to say defending education. Yeah, um, I'm all for I, education. By okay, the way, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I I see your point though of like this is kind of a, a system that we were born into. Mm-hmm. That it was. I mean, because I mean, think about the roots of education. It was conspicuous consumption. Like I am so well off that I can spend four years in the prime earning potential of my lifetime studying some dead language. And it's a signaling device. So I would say that one of the biggest things that an education does is it's branding, which the brand from a degree actually has gotten diluted. And now it's a master's degree of what it used to be. Um, But also it's the network. Like if you get into Harvard, you can reach out to other Harvard grads who are doing well. And I guess like, as you kind of go down and how prestigious the, the degree is, well, what do um, most what do most Silicon Valley entrepreneurs do? They get accepted to Stanford dropout after two semesters just to say that they got into Stanford. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Okay. Um, so I like the well, real quick. This uh, Durga uh, Durga Prasad is saying the major challenge in data science. Uh, world to get a job because each and every employer had different tech stack and domain skills uh, so there would be high chance of rejection yeah but if you can learn one tech stack you can learn anything man like newsflash dude gcp azure and aws they're not that different they just call things different names and you know once you understand the principles of how something works the tools take care of themselves right so focus on the principles right don't mm-hmm. focus on an individual tool right focus on the problem this tool is solving right and and that will help you transfer and abstract away to different tools uh here in india employer expects data engineer i don't fucking know anything about india um <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> I might be Indian. I don't know a damn thing about India. Um, so keep reading. Them. Yeah. Say it. If you see any any comments, yeah, that you find interesting. Any suggestion? Uh, suggestion, man. Just focus on principles, right? Focus on the foundations that you need to. And we talked about that earlier. Um, and then just iterate, right? Like you. I don't know what challenges you're talking about in fintech or in fang. Like everything is competitive, man. Um, so how are you going to differentiate yourself? Figure that out. What is it that you uniquely can contribute that nobody else can? And just double down on that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, a lot of good comments here, man. Uh, I love, man. That's you know, I've been, I've been, I really like your audience a lot. Um, oh, thanks. I, 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 I'm a lurker on your podcast. Like I'll watch the live stream. I'm just like, just watching the comments and you've got one of the most engaged, uh, and, and just, you know, they're, they're out there vocal and talking, uh, audiences that I've seen, man. And it's really, really cool to see. So I really, really like your audience. You know, who, you know, you know, I, Al was the one who has done an amazing job at building yeah. Yeah. the audience. What was Kate saying? Yeah, uh, that's that's cool, man. Al is awesome as well. Uh, frequentist prior events have no influence on the future probability. Yes, that is true. Casinos, coin tosses, card games. Yes, absolutely. But the thing is, real world, real life is not a casino, card game, or a coin toss. Um, yeah, this, this is great, great comments in here, man. Um, uh, talking about uh, learning style and stuff like that. Yeah, it, somebody's talking about it's so hard to get a first data science internship as a student. Can you give me a to-do list? Like, do this, do this, do this. Uh, there, there is not a, a to-do list like that. Uh, but I will say this. Um, if you're a student in school and all you have done is sat in classes and earned grades, that's not going to be enough. You have to, you have to, you have to learn by doing, right? And that word doing encompasses a lot. You can always learn more when you're doing on the job, right? Um, and that doing involves iterations. And I think I've, you know, hopefully drilled drilled this point home. But it, it's the the learning happens across the iterations, right? So let's say you are a a um, I don't know. You, you own the corner grocery store, right? And you can put in thousands of hours, but you're doing those thousands of hours doing the same thing, stocking the shelves, putting stuff away. What if you did things differently, adjusted the positions, adjusted the marketing, adjusted the branding, right? Um, then that would help you learn more um, about the business itself, what works, what doesn't work. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I would say with that, man. You have to apply. You have to apply it. Well, also, too, um, I, I love this frame. You kind of hinted at this or alluded to it. Of Are you – the way that I see it is this dichotomy of are you consuming or are you creating? Because mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I, I think that you can – essentially, if you are plugged into your all the groups that you're in and you're actively participating in class, you can kind of create your own education. Or you can sit back. Um, you go to the back of the classroom, be quiet, and then just do the bare minimum, which I'll be honest, that was me in undergrad. And I had to go back and get a second degree because I was so poorly equipped. In fact, I, w I feel like I was probably worse off after my undergraduate degree just because I had some terrible habits. Like I figured that I could just like phone in. Oh, if I just, I can just, I knew that I may want to someday go to grad school, so I did just the bare minimum amount of work to get a 3.0. Dude, that's the same thing for me. And that's why it's good to take advice from people like us who've done the fucking up on your behalf 
and are telling right. you what not to do, right? <laughs> if you just take advice from somebody who's just like coasted his entire life, got it, got, you know, like easy, easy in everywhere because it's just so easy for him. How much are you going to learn from that person? Uh, go, go for people who have done some struggling on their own and are now like, hey, you know what? Don't be like me. Don't do these things that I did. Um, I've learned now. I mean, I'm near 40 right now. I'm 38, right? So I've, I've had, I've have a bit of distance between me and, and that younger version of me just continually fucking up. But that guy's still here in the back of my head. Telling me, to take, <laughs> telling me to take the easy route when things get difficult, right? Uh, yeah, so it's a challenge. Well, it's funny because then I then I like hopped into like overproduction. Mode. It was like I was like too lazy. Then it was like I'm working seven days a week, mm-hmm. and I I'm kind of shocked. I never really hit burnout. I thought I would, but I mean, I was like just constantly grinding, and it's 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 weird. The things what 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 kind of mess with my head is that there's now a divorce from like the amount of effort I put in versus the amount of output I get. And I think that like that there's a certain level of letting go, but like I, I, I hope, and maybe in five years time, I'm going to be like, yeah, well I was still doing this other weird thing. <laughs> like I think that I've like gone from lazy to like overproductive to like, I'm trying to find like a somewhat of a balance. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean, man. Like it's kind of the same kind of thing for me. Um, but I mean, I, I had some burnout earlier this year, probably around like February, February ish. I was just, I was just drained. Man. I was just tired. Um, you know, I had to take, I had to take a few weeks off of, of mentoring. Um, you know, at Data Science Dream Job just to to regroup myself because uh, I was just, I was just drained. I was cynical. I was bitter. I didn't understand why I did, didn't want to do things anymore, and it was tough. Um, and what did I do? I brought people onto the podcast to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I did. Okay. So I am a huge fan of Robert Greene and I'm like, yeah. I, were you nervous? I'm interviewing him. You seem so chill. Is yeah. it, do you like, do you get extra chill when you're nervous? Cause like I get extra charismatic when I'm anxious and people are yeah. like, Oh, you didn't seem anxious at all. And I'm like this ball of like nerves. Yeah. I mean, uh, I was at the very beginning when I was reading the intro, and then I just kind of eased into it. He's real cool, man. Like Robert Greene is awesome, and and to for, for him to give me that com- uh, the compliment at the end of the interview was just like, wow, shit, dude, I can't believe that. Um, but yeah, I, I loved interviewing Robert Greene, and again, like I just spent so much time in his in his world in his books leading up to the interview um, that you know, I kind of I, I had a playbook in my head of where I wanted to take the take the, the the conversation and then obviously you know i was using some influence and persuasion tactics as well um to really help him warm up to me and it, it paid off man he had you know he, like you said it's one of the best interviews he's ever done yeah and dr hall he yeah. he interviewed robert green it was yeah. uh go go check out yeah everybody i'm, I'm totally plugging you here go check yeah, out the artist of data science um i did want to because i was like i saw that and i was like oh man I would love to hear him talk about like really in detail, break down like the power dynamics of interviewing mm, yes, signaling theory and like the, cause it's interesting. Cause um, me and Dr. Hall and some of our like mid form, like we, we were doing these tactical Thursday episodes. We're talking about just like random things that can help you land an analytics job. One of them was signaling theory, mm-hmm. like in economics, like, like what are the signals? So like then it kind of morphed into all right, what, what signal does an analytic certification, so the Power BI, uh, Microsoft Exam DA100, does that send a signal to an employer 
that, oh, this person knows it or this person is just checking the boxes. Yeah, it's interesting. So, 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 I mean, like signaling is just, it also depends on the person who's receiving the signal, how they interpret it. Um, I think if you're going to pursue any type of certification, it should be with the intention of learning the thing and not for the intention of signaling it out that you've earned this thing. You know what I mean? If you're going to do, if, if you're doing a certification and then thinking that, okay, by me having this certification, now I'm entitled to every job that I apply for, you're going to set yourself up for disappointment um, because some people are going to value that and some people won't. But if you, if you're doing this certification as a way for you to say, yes, you know what, I've gone through this program. I've put in the hours, I've put in the work. This is a, 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 a thing of honor for me. This is a thing I can pride myself on, on having the certification, then, then do it. If it's, if it is for you do it, but if it's too signal, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really, I mean, I wouldn't count on it. I know some, 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 I mean, project management professionals, they need that, right? That's, that's, that's a huge signal, right? right? For, for certain, like, you know, CFAs, you need to get that huge signal, right? Mm -hmm. uh, accountants, you need certifications. Yes, for sure. Data science, do you need certifications? Like, I, I don't think so. No. Um, I mean, especially since I've taken some of these certifications exams and I know how easy it is to, you know, find answers online brain dumps and shit like that that you know it's, it's pretty right you could just task. you're hacking the test you're not like yeah. actually acquiring any knowledge or yeah. skills yeah. yeah so it depends on what like if, if you were on that path of i'm just gonna hack the test get this certification and now it this entitles me to get interviews and jobs and so on and so forth then you're dead wrong that's not gonna happen you're doing it for the wrong reasons but if it's for the other path whereas i'm doing the certification to learn the thing in a structured manner and then have that as a badge of honor for myself that i've gone through this rigorous program um without any expectation that this now will convert to job offers then i think that's a great path as well okay so we, we went off on a total tangent i wanted to circle back around to robert green and like the power dynamics okay so okay, have yeah. you did you read the, have you read them all? Like the 48 mm -hmm. laws of power, artist seduction, yeah. the 50th law. Yes. I love that book, dude. I was about to say, um, with, with, when I was, when I was talking about my internship or my internship that I turned to my first client that paid me dog shit, I turned that shit into sugar is what, one of the chapter names of the, yeah. in that book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, are there any lessons you've learned from Robert Greene that can apply to the interviewer interviewee dynamic? Oh man. Uh, they would all be from uh, from the uh, artist seduction. That's, that's the, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I can't remember if we talked about the interview process. It was one of the questions I did want to touch on with him, but we just kind of went everywhere. When I come back on the show with him, when I bring him back for his next book, we'll, we'll talk about it more in depth, specifically interviewing. Um, but I, mean, yeah, I don't I don't have like a answer to that right off the top of my head. Um, I was about to say, that's a huge yeah. catalog of information. Yeah. That is, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't have anything off the top of my head, man. There's so many good laws in that book. Um, well, because I think that um, I, I really like the, the idea of, like, what are you signaling? Because there, there, there are ways that you can signal that you're going to be a good candidate or a bad candidate. And we've, we've kind of hit on them um, to kind of, like, kind of tie all this together. So, for example, one thing Molly did is that she signified that she's teachable and she knows how to learn. Yes. That's so that's a, a big signal. Huge, huge. 
Um, also, too, I think Molly is very, very charming. Like she's very genuine and funny and slightly self-effacing, but in a way that doesn't seem like uh, she hates herself. I don't yeah. know if you've seen people who go too far and the, yeah. they make fun oh. of themselves too hard. Yes, yeah, that's self-deprecation. That's <laughs> that's the opposite extreme there, right? Um, but yeah, that that's a really important point that you're touching on is because during the interview process, I mean, if if everybody else that is interviewing for the same role as a baseline has the exact same technical skills as you do, right? Mm-hmm. And, and let's just say that I'm the hiring manager and every interviewer that has come through my door, I'm confident that all hundred of these people can do the job, right? Can, can get results from my company. Who am I going to hire? I'm going to hire the person who's not a dick, who is coachable, who I want to spend my time with. Right, who I will happily engage with and and see myself having a a good work relationship with them. Somebody who will make my life more enjoyable at work, a pleasant person, right? Somebody who's not going, somebody who's going to be unafraid to let me know that if I give them a task that, hey, boss, like this is going to be difficult. I know you want this done in X amount of time, but it's it's going to be tough. I can't. I mean, you know, I I need a little bit of extra time. I'd I'd rather have somebody who's open about that than somebody who's like, yes, boss, yes, sir, I'll do it, sir, yes, sir, and then completely F everything up, right? (laughs) Obsequious, just like overly... um, Yeah, actually, we've been experimenting with shorts on the the YouTube channel, and the, the one we just posted on Monday was actually, if you are technically brilliant but insufferable, you're going to lose out on the jobs on jobs to people who are not technically as proficient, but the manager can see themselves spending 40 hours of their week with. I think that's something that's like often missed. They don't even think about that. Dude. Like that's the most important thing, man. You have to be a likable person. You got to realize that these people who are interviewing you, I mean, look, man, they want to work with somebody who they see themselves working with. Right. Right. And somebody who they want to actually spend time with and spend time interacting with. It doesn't matter how smart you are. If you're a jerk, you're a jerk, man. Like, just get away from me. I don't want that, you know, I don't want, I don't want that shit around you, man. Just get away. Right. And I, and I would flip it, too. So my first internship interview, um, the guy was essentially a sociopath. Like, I could tell immediately. Like, he did his best to make me as uncomfortable and power play me in the interview. And it sucked working with him. I, I Ultimately, like, in the broad scheme of things, I think it was... Uh, I'm extremely grateful because I, I got to work with him for three months and then I got the hell out of there. But knowing what it's like working with someone who is basically going to bully you, who doesn't care about you. Like he took me out to lunch because I, I guess that's standard protocol at the company. He was on his phone the whole time. Didn't even like look at me. Like it was yeah. like, oh, yeah, well, it was just it. Yeah, man. It goes both ways. Like you, like it's a it's a dance. It's like um, you need to be evaluating the interviewer as well when, yeah. you're, when you're looking at these jobs yeah man i think and i think people just get so desperate um for mm-hmm. for a job right they just they, you know like they think they have no other options like this interviews it no nah, man that's that's not it like it, it, there are other interviews there are other jobs out there for you you don't have to take a job uh just because it's the only thing in front of you right now right um you know i'm saying that coming from a privileged position as somebody who already has like an awesome job who does i go on interviews all the time with, without intention of getting hired it's just because i need to put myself through that process because i'm mentoring students who are going through the interview process and if i if i don't understand what it's like i can't help them um i, I don't know if you know where i was going with this but <laughs> well you you probably so you've gotten to that point um 
getting back to the three styles of luck is that you're 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 seen as a, a branded expert. I'm sure you have people reaching out to you fairly often saying, hey, I want you to come fill this role for me. Uh, no, dude. No, it wasn't was not like that. No, dude. Uh, I mean, for the really? most current, yeah, for this most current job I have, maybe there's a little bit of that. But then again, remember, I'm like I live in a, a small city in Winnipeg. Um, I, I do get people messaging me on LinkedIn for for roles and stuff, but most of the time it's like, yeah, it doesn't look like a place I would want to work. It doesn't look like a job I would want to do. So I'll pass it up. Um, and even then, like just just being, you know, an influencer on linkedin like that doesn't mean shit people don't care about that man uh, it, it doesn't interesting yeah i haven't found it useful for me like you know like... well I, I i guess the point i was making was that the people who are interviewing um they have no options to where like you have an yeah. abundance of options they may yeah. not be um as good as the current option that you you've got but you have like if if all of a sudden your company were to implode yeah, yeah, you would be able to land on your feet because you have that personal brand. Yeah, it well, but then it's it's just the ability to create more opportunities for itself, right? So like we're talking True. about hustle, hustle luck again. Yeah, that's that's where it's you know what it comes down to. But um, yeah, I mean, like I haven't noticed any noticeable increase in response rates to job interviews uh, based solely on my LinkedIn presence. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I get hit up by recruiters like all the time, like trying to recruit me for. For jobs, yeah. Which, which I don't know. Maybe they're not. I, well, actually, that's not true. I mean, we had I, Danny Lauer tried to recruit me for his team at Amazon. He came on the podcast. Did you see that episode? I didn't see that one. No. <laughs> okay, so he tried to he tried to recruit you like on like on the show or how did this work? Okay, out? so I, I think that this this is um, I don't want to get repetitive with the audience, but I'll give you kind of a highlight. So Danny is a person I've known for eight years. And so he used to live in Winston-Salem, which is 30 minutes away from Greensboro. Um, and he was a friend of a friend. I reached out to him about, hey, should I get an MBA? Because he was getting his MBA at Wake Forest. And then um, turns out he's been following me, kind of lurking like like you have been <laughs> for years. And then he said, hey, uh, he reached out to me probably two months ago saying, hey, um, there's a role opening up for an analyst for my – he's a senior product manager for Amazon – and he was like, "Hey, I want to. I want you to interview for this." Nice. And then um, I was like, "I'm not interested, but I'll interview you if you want to come on the podcast." Nice. Hey, so, cool, man. so, but um, he's a he's a fascinating guy because he was um, probably ten years ago. He was a cheerleader for the Boston Trailblazers, or not in the Boston, the what what Portland? is it? Portland, Portland? Yeah. Boston. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we've been, yeah. You can tell I love sports ball. I'm a huge sports, sports fan. Ball. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, we've been rattling on. I, you can tell I'm getting a little fatigued. It's one. It's an hour and 25 minutes. Yeah, man. So, Look, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping people got got some value out of this. Uh, I know. I mean, we kind of just talked about whatever we want to talk about, and I think that's kind of like the best type of podcast. Um, right. I, I was using this as an opportunity just to get to know you a little bit better, and, and I'm happy we did, man. Um, I'm hoping that, you know, pe people got some value for this. Like, uh, if you guys have any questions, man, feel free to join me on my office hours. I got the open office hours twice a week. Um, happy to have you guys there. Um, yeah, man. Yeah, this was, I, I knew that we were going to get like layers deeper than you, because most people it's like tactical advice, tactical advice. You're like, well, let's talk about the philosophy of interviewing. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. Because look, man, you get enough t- tactical advice, everything is going to cancel out to zero, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, just understand the game you're playing, right? And understand that, that this is, you know, there's elements to this game that you should understand and, and master. And if, if you're completely focused on one aspect of, of it, which is the technical skills aspect, then you're missing out on a lot of different ways for you to win in this situation, right? Uh, this interviewing situation. So um, like interviewing definitely definitely is a game. And it's, it's the hardest technical skill of the job search process. People don't view interviewing as a skill. It is a skill, right? Interviewing is a skill. Communicating is a skill. Uh, communicating complex ideas is a skill. Um, trying to get people to to you know put trust in you and put faith in you um, that's a skill as well I mean hopefully you're using that skill in the right way um, but it's I mean, the same yeah. Matt Bratton appreciates your authenticity you do just ooze authenticity though like I can tell that you're you're very much rooted in who you are and you're not trying to put on airs yeah dude, I don't give a shit about anything uh, <laughs> like straight up man like I mean Nobody can. I mean, look. I mean, that's not entirely true. There's very few things that I do care about. Um, like, I, I don't care about a lot. There's a few things I do care about, but those few things I care about extremely deeply. Uh, mm-hmm. And and then again, nobody can compete with me on being me. So, true. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, and I can't wait to have you back on. I would love to do this again sometime. Hey, man, absolutely. You know, you are always welcome on on my podcast at the Office Hours, as is everybody listening. Please come by man hang out uh i'd love to have you guys there and you know remember everybody you've got one life on this planet why not try to do something big (laughs) thanks hey i hope you really enjoyed this episode i'm curious were there any valuable insights or lessons that you learned one thing that could hugely help us out is if you just took 30 seconds and left us a review with a little blurb about what you learned Thank you so much for your time and attention, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Hey, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I'm curious, were there any valuable insights or lessons that you learned? One thing that could hugely help us out is if you just took 30 seconds and left us a review with a little blurb about what you learned. Thank you so much for your time and attention, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.